going to read our scripture this morning. It comes from Colossians, the letter to Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 through chapter 2, verse 5. And so would you tend with me to the reading of God's word? Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments, for though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ." Friends, these are the words of God. Thanks to God. Well, good morning again. Um, reintroduction, Sid, glad to be with you. Um, and I'm glad to be with you in person but also virtually if you're with us there, joining in worship. Um, if you're new uh, in person, there's a welcome table out in the lobby. If you're new virtually, please just send us an email, info at northcrosschurch.com or sid at northcrosschurch.com. We'd love to know that you're with us one way or the other. And for those of you who are here again with us, uh, we said this earlier, but it's a real encouragement. Um, talking to Catherine Belk earlier um, this week, we thought maybe it was just gonna be the two of us. Um, so it's, I'm thankful to have more than just Catherine having to nod at every point I make in this sermon. Um, so we're glad for that. Anyway, Advent, Christmas, and even 2021 are in the rearview mirror. They have happened, and we are now officially in 2022, and there's a lot going on for so many of us. Um, Maybe first and foremost in the dashboard of our hearts is the Omicron variant that is raging. Um, and, or maybe it's the anniversary of January 6th or a new year with all the new promises of a new you or it feels like the same you, you round 2022, right? Whatever it is, regardless, January of an early new year, especially this new year, it feels sort of appropriate to do some reflection together to think about how do we want to live this year? What are we looking for out of this year? Is it a big change? Is it a small sense of comfort? A somebody or something new or old? And then we need to ask, where are we looking for that? That missing something. 
Well, Paul in his letter to the Colossians is about to show and tell us about the mystery at the heart of each and every one of our lives. And not only will this great mystery tee up our return to our sermon series in Ephesians chapter three and following, start next week, and not only is this great mystery gonna speak into how the new year feels with all of its promises and already occurring disappointments, but if we hear it right, this great mystery will change us. And we know that because it's changed everyone who has ever believed it, including Paul. So let's study the mystery of the universe together. (laughs) Would you pray with me and for our time together in God's words to us this morning? Father, we are thankful for these words and we're thankful for the opportunity to gather around your Bible Um, there are a lot of answers being thrown around and not many of them are very good. (laughs) And I pray that you would help us to gather around your truth, to sit your feet like little children, crisscross applesauce and gaze and wonder at who you are, at how you have known this day from before the foundations of the earth, how you have known the station of our hearts, and where we are, and where we aren't, and you're aware, and you're pursuing us. And we pray that you would do that through your word today, that Jesus, you would be mighty, and you would be glorious, and you would feel full. And we pray that, because we're hungry and we're thirsty, in ways we don't even know. And we pray that you would meet us in this text this morning, and that you would do what you always do with your word, and you would change us. That we wouldn't be the same people leaving this sanctuary who entered it. We'll ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, several years ago now, there was a book called The Secret, and it was published. I don't know if you've heard of this book. Oprah Winfrey did, and soon had its author, a woman named Rhonda Byrne, on her talk show, Oprah, not once, but two different times. And not surprisingly, maybe it was Oprah, maybe it was the title, The Secret, um, this book had astronomical sales. Let me just give you a sense of how big this book was. Uh, The Secret was the top of the New York Times bestseller list for 146 consecutive weeks. Okay, that's almost three whole years. It's been something, it's sold like something, there's a, I should say, there's, there's roughly over 30 million copies of The Secret in print. And it's been translated into 50 languages. So this book wasn't just like a big seller, it's a worldwide phenomenon. And so we have to ask the question, why? Why was this book, The Secret, so big? Well, it certainly wasn't that it said something all that new or original. <laughs> The central idea of the secret comes from the power of positive thinking movement. Essentially, it just says this. Here's how positive thinking is supposed to work. The universe is attracted to positive energy, and so the way we get what we want, you know, health, wealth, happiness, is to ask the universe for it and to positively believe the universe will give it back to us. That's the secret. If that's the premise, and that premise wasn't suspicious enough, The Secret is actually just a repackaged self-help rewrite of a 1910 book more crassly titled The Science of Getting Rich 
the science of getting rich. That's the secret. Really? Projecting good vibes to get rich or stay rich, that's the secret of the universe? Are you kidding me? Really, the best-selling triumph of the secret is a triumph of two things, over-the-top marketing and the power of the feeling that we all have that we're missing out on something big. You see, the secret is really just an exaggerated version of the next, next thing we're all looking for. The new, shiny, trendy, strategy or experience that we think we all are gonna need. I think the reason that we're looking for the secret is that we all feel like something is lacking in our lives and in this world. That's probably a true instinct at some level. And so we look to something new or some kind of secret knowledge to find it, it. Maybe you're not sure about Jesus and Christianity this morning, and, uh, you, but the desire for something more drew you in and you said, I'm gonna look, I'm gonna show up at church or I'm gonna jump online and I'm, going, uh, I'm gonna take a chance or maybe it was you take a chance on an invitation that someone else gave you. Or maybe you're a Christian, but you don't even know that you're looking for the secret. Unconsciously, way down below your awareness level, the radar there, you know you need something. You've been going through the motions. Hours, days, months, pandemic-filled year after year, and you're thinking, man, there's got to be something. You hope there's some sort of mindfulness technique or spiritual formula or retreat or new relationship that's gonna make you feel alive inside again. And I'm sure some of you here are just bored and tired. Bored and tired of yet another consumer gimmick like the secret. <laughs> well, our passage in, from Paul, Paul's telling us this in our passage, welcome to the club. <laughs> We're all in this club. Colossians chapter one, verses 24 through Colossians chapter two, verse five is all about the secret. Believe it or not. You see, some slick false teachers have been coming into Colossa and selling their ancient contemporary vintage edgy packaged goods all over the place. And verse four tells us that their marketing is working to some extent. And so what does Paul do to counter this, right? Does he put together a better business strategy? Does he make an even trendier ministry package that's gotta compete in the marketplace that includes, you know, like extreme motocross with Jesus and secret complicated handshakes, a touch of fraternity hazing and a Dakota ring? No. Paul simply tells the Colossians and us what the mystery, what the secret truly is. It's Jesus. The mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then Paul does something maybe even more counterintuitive. Paul encourages them and encourages us to join in his fellowship of suffering. Yes, the mystery and the glory of Jesus moves us to suffer and to struggle for other people's sakes. In a sentence, Colossians chapter one, verses 24 through Colossians chapter two, verse five, tells us this, Jesus is the mystery. He's the it. 
He's the buried treasure. And once we believe this, Jesus changes our life's purpose to love like Jesus with self-sacrifice. So again, Jesus is the mystery and he changes our life's purpose to love with self-sacrifice. That's a pretty simple message, but it's actually kind of complicated to get there in our passage. It's not like a verse by verse, in order, in sequence sort of layout of, of the passage. And so the outline's tricky. And I think this is because Paul is pouring out his heart to people he's never actually met. And so he's describing his message in the midst of his ministry. It's all kind of tangled together. And so therefore, I'm going to try to divide on what he says into two distinct points or truths here with a lot of different verses attached to them. Here's the first thought. Paul's preaching teaches us that Jesus is the not-so-secret secret. Jesus is the not-so-secret secret. And we see this truth primarily in verses 26 through 28, and again in verses 2 and 3. And the second thought is Paul's life teaches us the public secret of Jesus changes the way that we live and love. The public secret of Jesus changes the way we live and we love. And we see this truth primarily in verses 24, 25, 29, 1, 2, 4, and 5. Again, it's all over the place. So this sermon outline uh, with its two thoughts and accompanying verses is in your e-bulletin, maybe projected behind me at this point. And really, we're going to look at first at what's called a secret and a treasure. And that is Jesus Christ in us. So I don't know about you, but when I hear that word mystery, I think of the mystery machine and Scooby-Doo. Yes, that's because I maybe possibly grew up in front of a television, which is true. Um, and are we familiar with that TV show? Maybe, or maybe now movie series, Scooby-Doo, right? He's a dog who solves crimes for doggy snacks. That's really all you need to know. That's the, that's the summary. Uh, anyway, the mysteries behind shows like Scooby-Doo are what most of us think Paul's talking about when he talks about a mystery, right? Um, the mystery, verse 26. But what Paul's actually talking about when he says mystery is something quite different than that idea. He's saying the mystery isn't a mystery because it has clues to solve that we have to kind of decode. It's not like a scavenger hunt that's usually solved by the brilliant Thelma the smart one in Scooby-Doo, right? She does everything there. Um, a mystery doesn't have someone or something hidden under some clever disguise that's got to be pulled off at the end of the show or movie, usually by accident, by Shaggy. He's the goofy one in Scooby-Doo. And the mystery is actually something that is right in front of us. The mystery is it's right before our eyes. What was once veiled and in the future and in Jewish Old Testament prophecies, it actually has been obvious for all of us to see on the stage of world history. Here's the mystery. It's Jesus of Nazareth. This is what Paul's getting so worked up over. It's this Jesus. Jesus is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed. Verse 26, Jesus is the riches and the hope of glory. Verse 27, Jesus is the full assurance of understanding and knowledge. Verse 2, Jesus is the source of all the reassur reassurances. Well, hold on. 
Ah, whatever. Resources of wisdom and knowledge. Good notes, Druin. Verse three. (laughs) Just like the Colossians, we look for treasure and riches. We look for wisdom and knowledge and glory in so many other places. But the mystery is that they're all in Jesus. Isn't this crazy? Full glory. Full glory is not in your next pay raise or promotion a good grade, or in your child's behavior or performance, just ask the parent of a teenager or a young adult if it's easier now. It isn't. As good as these things are, those things are not it. True riches and true wisdom are not in the next person who likes or respects you. After all, what happens when they actually meet the real you, the smelly, cranky you that sometimes happens? Will they run or will they stay? Sometimes that's not clear. Knowledge and glory are not in your next move or your next home purchase. True wisdom and true glory are not even the next very Christian thing you do. It's not in the next nonprofit Save the World venture you join. It's not in the family-focused mountaintop experience or retreat that you do. Simply all of these have great benefits and can be good things. Any tre- they have treasure and wisdom and glory and knowledge to them, but any of the gifts that they have all come from God the Father. And where do they reside? They all reside in Jesus Christ, his son. And how do you access this? As you believe in him, you relate to him, to Jesus, the possessor of infinite wealth, wisdom, and wonder. And where does that reside? In you in you. Do you get that you can so easily access what you so desperately want? That's why it's called grace, because it's a gift from God, and it's already given. And this is a sweet, sweet relief. If you're tired, and you're hurt, and you're disappointed from that missing out feeling that we feel especially these days. Like you and I feel so much of the time We feel like this in times like these. For 12 years, I worked with a college ministry. And in that ministry, we had this really strange but often repeated saying. And here's what we said in this college ministry over and over and over again. A naked Jewish guy on a cross is our fastball. A naked Jewish guy on a cross is our fastball. You know, a fastball is a pitcher's main pitch. It's his bread and butter, right? It's his best play that he knows how to do. If his fastball's no good, then he won't stay on the mound for very long. And a fastball's that pitch that the pros go to when they're down in the count, when they've got more balls than they've got strikes. It's what the pitcher throws when he's got nothing else to throw. And so what's a naked Middle Eastern man on a cross have to do with a fastball? It means that he... That guy in history is our only hope. He is our only help. And therefore, church or your devotional life doesn't need to look like the latest, greatest program or time with the party people or insightful, deep, therapeutic methods. It looks like bringing people, bringing ourselves and our hearts and our minds 
the healing hands and wounded feet of Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can bind up what's morally broken inside of us. He's the only one who can begin to satisfy our hungers and our thirsts. Jesus is the only one whose wounds heal, who can do something for the hurts that we carry around from the people we like and the people we despise. But what is Paul driving at when he says that this Jesus Christ is inside of you? By the way, that you is literally you all. You plural, okay? Why is this knowledge of this mystery so powerful? A scholar named Tom Wright gets it right when he says that Jesus being in us means that what is true of him becomes true of us. What's true of him, Jesus, becomes true of us who follow Jesus. And that's what, by the way, when we talk about that word headship, which is preloaded, that's primarily what it means. What happens to the head, Jesus, happens to the body, the church, those people who follow Jesus. In other words, we get what Jesus gets. We experience the benefits together as a community, Christ in you all. So let me unpack this a little bit further. Jesus in us means that life and death is one with Jesus's life and death. Our life and death is one with Jesus's life and death. We really and truly have died in, to sin like Jesus in his crucifixion. And then what does that mean? Our failures have no guilt stains. Our pasts cannot control our futures. but why is this so hard to believe? It's because we need the people of God, the you all, to remind us of this freedom by what they say about us, but also how they treat us. Defined by Jesus, not defined by yesterday. And we really and truly now live to righteousness like Jesus in his resurrection because Jesus' resurrection life is inside us by his spirit. That is Christ in you all. Jesus is transforming us from the inside out. He's filling up that place inside of us that feels hollow for whatever's different than this. We're hollow for whatever's next. And Jesus makes us meet others with wounds just like our wounds and to forgive sins just like our sins. It's amazing how he does that. And so the question is, can you locate where the people around you are hurting right now? And can you ask, honestly, where are you hurting right now? Where do you feel most sorry? And where does the world feel most spent? Because that's where God promises his glory will show up. Right there. In other words, Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection are the heat of the fastball, right? They're the speed and the surety behind why Jesus is our fastball. So we can already sense that we're going here, but part of what the pivot happens is after explaining Jesus as the mystery, Paul invites us into our second point, which is this, the glorious and self-sacrificial love of Jesus. And Paul, and, 
and Paul does this by telling his own story, describing his own life and ministry. And from Paul's life description in this passage, uh, it's clear that the ministry of love is both a ministry, it's both the Spirit's work, he's working through Paul, verse 29, and it's also at the same time very painful work. And we see this pain in verse 24. There Paul says he rejoices in his sufferings for the Colossians and our sakes, and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. That whole verse is hard to understand, isn't it? What's he talking about? First, why is Paul rejoicing over suffering? Is he touched in the head? This is definitely countercultural. This is definitely like counter my own personal preferences in life. Kind of try to avoid the suffering. Paul sees suffering as a gift. And if I'm honest, if I see suffering, I feel suffering like a nuisance or an impossible burden, depending on the degree of suffering. But here's why Paul can rejoice, and here's what he's saying suffering does. And he says it in a, in a beautiful sentence that I'm going to use from Leon Bloy. It's a novelist. Leon Bloy writes this. Man has places in his heart which do not yet exist, and into them enters suffering in order that they may have existence. So man has places in his heart which do not yet exist, and into them enters suffering in order that they may have existence. What Paul and I think the novelist Lynn Bloyer are mean is that suffering makes our hearts grow. It's the way that we reach maturity in Christ, verse 28, and it's through suffering. The difference between a small-hearted, spoiled child and a large-hearted older man is a life spent facing hardship chest first. Suffering grows our hearts by reordering our priorities from pet pleasures to love, from self-comfort at all costs to Jesus is my only hope. Suffering is quite simply how we spiritually grow up. It's a primary tool in God's toolkit. But what about the second part of the verse? What does Paul mean by filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction? Does suffering have a purpose, right? Aside from just like self-growth. Based on the rest of Colossians chapter one, Paul clearly does not mean that Jesus' death on the cross is incomplete in some way, okay? The cross is sufficient to make peace for us with God. Clearly there's nothing lacking in Christ's sacrificial death itself. But there is something lacking in the communication of Jesus' death. The Colossians, we did, we did not see and do not feel the suffering love of Jesus in his life and on the cross, and we don't see and feel that firsthand, right? And there's a sense in which we can only know that kind of love by experience. We have to see someone sacrifice themselves for us and then we often know the suffering love of Jesus when we know, when we see it, when we feel the suffering love of one of Jesus' followers for us. Let me break this down. That's a lot. For the Colossians, it was knowing Paul was in prison for their sakes and seeing and knowing the suffering, the love of their personal missionary Epaphras for them. That's what moved them. For me, it was a college soccer teammate and friend 
who wrestled with back braces and depression to proclaim his faith in Jesus right before my eyes. That's what moved me. Who is it for you? Who is it for you? Or perhaps you're that person in that kind of social or emotional or physical pain right now. And you're trying to hold it up. Try to hold it up to Jesus. You're saying, this is for you. And the nurses see it. And the friends and family see it. And the people that betrayed you see it. And it won't be wasted. J. Oswald Sanders tells a story of who it was for, the, for, for a village in rural India. There's a man in India that heard the gospel for the first time, he believed in Jesus, he got excited about it. He thought, how in the world have I never heard this before? Such good news. And he'd never heard before that Jesus, in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so he thought, this good news is so important. I wanna go spread that message to all of India. And so he left immediately and he walked barefoot from village to village preaching the gospel of Jesus. And he had a lot of hardships, one of which was he had no shoes. And so his feet were walking, he was walking barefoot without shoes for mile upon mile upon mile upon mile. And after a long day of many miles and much discouragement, he finally made his way to another village. And he came to this particular village and he tried to speak the gospel to the villagers. You know, Jesus is it, he's the secret, he's the mystery but they didn't get it and they wouldn't hear it and they angrily ran him out of town. And so he's devastated by this rejection. He thought he must have said something wrong or done something wrong. He just couldn't understand why they rejected this good news as such bad news so harshly. And so this Indian missionary, he's not able to walk another step and he kind of lays down defeated under a tree at the edge of the village where they drove him and he falls asleep out of exhaustion. And when he wakes up, he looks up and there's like a semicircle of people. And he kind of falls back asleep because he's passed out, right? And he wakes back up and there's the whole village. And he gulps, my guess. And then the whole town gathered and they asked him to speak. And the head, of the head man of the village explained that they had come to kill him while he was sleeping. But then they had seen his feet. There they were, raw and red and bloody, with open sores and blisters, scraps of skin held together by calluses. And when the villagers saw his feet, they were sorry they had run him out. And they wanted to hear the message that he was willing to suffer so much to bring them. And I think it's important not to miss the point of the story because we can, get, we can miss this point very easily in the Christian church. I don't think the wounds on his feet just told the villagers, this guy really cares about this thing and maybe I'd better listen, <laughs> okay? That's important, but that's not the only thing that's important. I think the wounds on his feet were a kind of gospel reenactment for the villagers. When they saw the messenger's wounds, suddenly the message of a wounded rescuer made a lot more vivid sense. 
they saw alive and in person how Jesus could be wounded for their transgressions and how by his wounds, we are healed. And some of you are going, great story, <laughs> Sid, uh, but I'm not a missionary in India, nor do I want to be a missionary in India, or maybe I want to be a missionary in India, but that's, that's not gonna happen right now. Um, but you and I have, don't have to be missionaries in India to live out this gospel reenactment. So what does this look like to, to love self-sacrificially for others' sakes here in Lake Norman and in these times, right, especially? I'm gonna leave you with just a couple of thoughts. It's a golden opportunity for Christians and for the church to practice gospel reenactment. Let me give you a couple of examples. These are just looking at verses 25 and 28 and one and two. Really, gospel reenactment just looks like ministry, which we're all called to, not just pastors. And so ministry begins with lifting up the richness of Christ before our eyes and before their eyes, them and us, whoever them and us is. So because we believe in Jesus, we practice repentance. Here's what repentance might mean in this cultural moment. We choose compassion instead of condemnation. What would that look like? We can ask for help or offer help instead of take a side politically or isolate ourselves to just our friend group or just our family or just ourselves. Because we believe in Jesus's the great mystery, we practice faith. We can do things for other people when time and energy and resources are starting to feel very scarce. And guess what? We get to expect nothing in return. And do you know what? You know why that's gospel reenactment? Because <laughs> that really hurts. <laughs> that really hurts. It hurts something bad. It can go unrecognized, and it can actually sometimes be resented. A pastor friend of mine puts it really well, Yes, the fruit of faith is joy. The fruit of faith is joy, but the feel of faith is death. The fruit of faith is joy, but the feel of faith is death. Friendship, family, dating, loving people in general, they can all feel like dying, and you quickly learn you're gonna bleed and maybe you're gonna get some scars out of this. If you haven't been hurt yet in a particular relationship you have, you probably just don't know each other well enough. <laughs> But this difficulty, where do we turn, right? Where do you and I go in our weakness? Where do we go in our woundedness? Where do we go with the fears and the fatigue and the excitement and the promise? We really only have one pitch. We only have one pitch we know that forgives, that strengthens, that heals. Jesus is our fastball. Jesus, the not so secret secret, who takes on our sinfulness, and who takes care of the hurt we feel when we're sinned against. And he, Jesus Christ, in us, he is the hope of our glory. Our recognition and reward is in him. Jesus, whose glorious love sings over us, only love, only love, 
can leave such a mark, but only love, only love can heal such a scar. Yes, only love, only love can, can leave such a mark, but only love, only love unites our hearts. Do you hear, do we see the Jesus right before our eyes? He's staying there, plainly in world history, and he has the wounds that can heal us, and he's the treasure that can fill us. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these words to us. They're precious in ways that we're just beginning to comprehend. It's like a crack, a door opened a crack to a treasure room. We can see the light, but it feels so dark around us. And we pray that you would open that door wide and you teach us how to draw near you in prayer and relationships and looking at your word. We pray that you would be our treasure, the not so secret secret that has changed the world. We ask this in your name, Jesus.